0: Uh, The title of this sermon is Learning to Lament. Like Brian said, we're going to be in Psalm 13. I'd like to start off by um, reading a quote that I read this week. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. It's from a pastor named Mark Vrivagap. He wrote a great article on Lamenting that I read this week. He says this, We step into this world with a cry. Although none of us remembers the moment, the first sound we uttered after leaving the warm and protected confines of our mother's womb was a loud protest. We enter wailing. To cry is human. However, we aren't the only part of the created order expressing sorrow. The Apostle Paul says that the entire creation groans, Romans 8.22. Along with the fall of Adam, The created world was infected by the broken effects of sin. Death is the ultimate reminder that sin is not right with the world. But there are other examples. Disease, addictions, failed marriages, relational conflict, loneliness, divisions, prejudice, injustice, abuse. We don't stop crying after birth. It continues because the world is broken. While tears and sorrow are part of our humanity, there's an often neglected prayer language for our travels through a broken world. Lament. I'd like to read a psalm now of lament. It was a, a song written by King David, most likely before he was king. In some kind of distress, he was. Psalm 13. but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, many of us find our hearts heavy today. Many of us Grieving ourselves, um, not knowing really what to do with many of the emotions, some of us uh, wanting to maybe avoid them. We recognize all of that. We bring all of the pain, all of the confusion, the distraught, distress. We bring it all today to your word and we ask that you would speak to us through your word and comfort our souls with the same kind of comfort that King David was comforted with here in Psalm 13. Help us now, God. Anoint my lips and my, uh, even my, my heart, my thoughts, to be in sync and in harmony with yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're taught at a young age to not complain, right? Um, But there is a way to complain that is not only okay, but actually biblical. Um, Some of us have been taught, maybe even unintentionally, that we should only express sorrow if we can wrap it up in a neat and tidy package or put some kind of spiritual spin or angle on it to express deep uh, sorrow or distress is messy, right? And many of us are uncomfortable with messiness. We may even feel like God doesn't like uh, that kind of messy emotion. But when we read the Bible, we see that godly sorrow is often messy. Lament is messy. Half of The psalms are psalms of messy lament. There is an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. So whether you have a practice of this already or not, I hope to give us today a uh, biblical permission and biblical encouragement to make lamenting a regular part of our life. First, I would like to give an explanation of lamentation, or answer the question, what is lament? Simply put, lament is the honest vocalizations of grief to God from the place between pain and resolve. But I don't, I don't feel that bad, Dom. Like I don't want to feel that bad. I don't like it when I feel that bad. Jesus came, like, shouldn't we be the happiest people on earth if Jesus is here already? Jesus did come, but he has not yet made all things new. That will not happen until he comes again. We are then still living in the tension between the pain and the resolve And lament is the language for living in the space between a life full of heartache and trusting in God's goodness. We don't sorrow like the world sorrows. We don't just like wish for pain to stop. We long for God to end the pain, but that hasn't happened yet. We are still experiencing the tension of the in-between, when we are honest with God about that in-between tension, that is lament. It is the uh, honest vocalizations and grief of grief, rather to God. This is important, right? Because to pray is simply to talk to God, um, but to lament is to uh, talk to God in a way that honestly expresses the tension of living in that space between the distress and the healing resolution. To lament is to cry out to God without sanitizing how we feel. Little newsflash here. Uh, God is not impressed by our ability to cover up or sugarcoat or ignore our emotions. Lamenting can't happen without honesty and vulnerability. It is the honest vocalizations of grief to God. And it is the honest vocalizations of grief. It's not just being honest with God. It's pretty easy to be honest with God about when we're feeling great about something. Lament is about being honest with God when we're not. The second thing I'd like to share is uh, the justification for lamentation. Right, Some of us are like, oh, dude, this sounds like so Old Testament or something, right? I want to answer the question, why should I lament? First of all, like I said, half of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. You want a biblical justification? Read the Psalms. An entire book of the Bible, as I said, is dedicated to lament. Jesus Validated lament and pronounced a blessing on those who mourned in Matthew 5.4. Jesus himself lamented. In the garden, he pleaded with God before he went to the cross at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He wept bitterly when he walked into Jerusalem. He wept over the city. He lamented. Next, lament is uniquely Christian. I read this this week. The practice of lament is one of the most theologically informed actions a person can take. While crying is uniquely human, lamenting is uniquely Christian. Lament is part of confession. Uh, The Bible tells us to, to practice confession. The word confession literally means to tell the truth. Lament is telling the truth to God. Lament is part of repentance. And repentance is necessary for deep soul refreshing and rejuvenation. Lament leads to growth and maturity. We'll read this later in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Lament cultivates faith. Man, read the the lament Psalms. Talking to God in your distress instead of trying to do something to fix the situation requires faith. Pouring out that the messy struggles of our soul and then asking again and again for God to help us requires faith. Lament turns you toward God when worldly sorrow causes you to run from Him. Lament interprets the world through a biblical lens. As I said earlier, lament honestly talks to God about the tension we are living in uh, in between the pain and the coming day when Jesus will return and bring complete restoration. And, and it forces us to, to remember the ark of God, right? There's, like the, there's the fall, but there is coming restoration. We, we, we know that the cause of lament, all lament, is sin, But we also know that someday sin and all that it brings will be done away with. For he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is speaking about that day. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for those former things have passed away. So Christians don't just mourn the brokenness of the world. We long for the day when mourning will be done away with that is lament. Anyone can cry, but only Christians can faithfully lament. Next, lament leads us to hope in God. In the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah, the whole book, poor guy, he would call him the weeping prophet, right? Like he never saw anybody repent, wrote an entire book of just lamenting to God and Lamentations three, we see this beautiful picture, though, of him turning his hope to God. He's there lamenting and he says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. Biblical lament doesn't leave us hanging or wondering. It leads us to hope and security in God. Last thing I want to mention in this section is lament leads us to the heart of God. Lament gives us space to uh, grieve like God grieves. As I preached um, this last Sunday, I experienced something that I've only experienced one other time in my life and it was like 14 years ago. I came to the part of the sermon where I was supposed to just briefly talk about how the early church was uh, not divided but they were unified and something hit me and I was overwhelmed by what I can only describe as the heart of God. I I've tapped into like the the thoughts of God in a way like that happens often when I'm studying to preach but it was almost as if God for a moment gave me not his thoughts on the subject, but his feelings, if that's a thing, but his feelings on the subject. Like he allowed me not just to know what he feels, but to feel what he was feeling, specifically when he looks at the brokenness and division of the world he created, even in the church. And it overwhelmed me. And it demanded my immediate attention My immediate confession and intercession, which is why I broke down weeping in the middle of the sermon and began to pray. But earlier that week, I had given myself permission to lament over the injustice and the brokenness, the sin, the prejudice in our country. And I think it opened the doors for me to experience the heart of God in response to those things, Jesus, I mentioned it earlier, he wept bitterly, literally convulsing, is what the word means in the Greek, at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. The stinger of death burrowed its way into the heart of Jesus, and he was immersed in its anguish, and in it, his humanity uncontrollably wept. But he was not only human, he was also God. And while God does not cry physical tears because he is spirit, uh, Genesis 6, Psalm 78, and Ephesians 4 remind us that God does grieve. And as the creator, I I think that Jesus was full of sorrow that day because he saw the, the epitome of the brokenness of his creation manifest in the death of his friend, and he knew this was not the plan. God's heart breaks when he sees the brokenness of humanity. When we practice lament, it leads us to the heart of God so our hearts can break too. Before we go any further, I want to take one one minute um, to maybe just uh, expose a few lies that might be coming up for some of us, as I was studying, these just these came to mind. Uh, I just want to expose them, right? you am going to bring light to the darkness, expose the lies. Lie number one, avoiding painful lament is honoring to God and has the ability to bring resolution to my soul. Um, we, we, we need to see that lament is a process that God doesn't just allow but that he designed. It's actually very honoring to him then. That's why half of the Psalms and the entire book of the Bible is given to it. God is wanting to teach us how to lament and in that it is honoring to him and brings the resolution to the soul. Lie number two, this kind of honest prayer life is just too scary. It's too much. It's too scary. Lament requires honesty and vulnerability and honesty and vulnerability can be terrifying, but they are not too Terrifying. I imagine that uh, Peter was terrified when he was about to step out onto the water. <laughs> Who does that in the middle of the ocean? And yet, without that vulnerable step of faith, he would have never experienced the glory of walking on water with Jesus. Lie number three, avoiding sanitizing or glossing over uncomfortable emotions is a sign of spiritual maturity. Here's the deal. Every emotion was given to us by God for a purpose. Joy is not more pleasing to God or a better sign of spiritual maturity than anger is. In and of themselves, neither joy nor anger are more pleasing to God or bigger signs of spiritual maturity. What is pleasing to God and what is a sign of spiritual maturity is when joy is grounded in Jesus and anger produces righteous indignation to abhor the, God, the things that God abhors. And lie number four is God is primarily concerned with us reaching the destination of resolve. God is just as, if not more, present and working in the journey as He is in the destination. We want to get to the destination. We're like, I feel like that's the result. That's more spiritual. than I can say like, oh, I will praise you. And God is somehow more happy with that. People think I am somehow more spiritual, more further along, uh, more mature. I want to get to the destination. But God is in the process. In fact, God often does his best work in the process. Okay, so that was the justification for lamentation. Number three. The culmination of lamentation. What does lament lead to ultimately? Lament, simply put, leads to a restored trust and hope in God. Lament is an invitation from God to honestly express all of the distressing emotions, but it is in order to lead us to a restored trust and hope in Him. A Christian psychologist friend showed me this tool recently. We're going to put it up on the screen here. This is the process of lament. Um, He uses this when helping people understand why it's so important to go through a grieving process and not try to downplay the pain or short circuit that process. The goal is to, to get from that gray circle of loss, okay, uh, to the healing or resolve, which is the blue circle. Um, and now it could be any kind of loss that we're experiencing, right? It could be the loss of a loved one, loss of a relationship, loss of a dream or a hope. It could be the loss of dignity, a respect, loss of trust, any significant loss. And what this graphic demonstrates is that uh, psychologically speaking, we cannot get to the place of healing and resolve without traveling this black path of lament that you see down on the bottom. See, what often happens is that we experience the lost, okay, the gray dot, and it sends us down to where that orange dot is, right, about halfway down. And when we get there, we feel the sadness, the depression, the, the pain, and we don't like it. And so we do everything we can to make sure that we don't go any lower, go down any further. And so we just try to move on. The problem is that we never actually get to lament because it hurts too much. Maybe it's too scary. Maybe it's too much work. Maybe we feel like we're just wasting God's time or our time if we do it. Whatever the reason is, we don't fully lament. And without fully lamenting, we never reach true healing. We end up staying in this kind of depressed state, mostly unresolved forever. Now, can God miraculously work a miracle and just bring healing without the process of lament? Sure. Just like God can uh, miraculously turn an orange seed into an orange tree without the process of germination. No problem. But generally speaking, God uses the processes that he already put in place. God has created a process to take us from the experience of loss and distress to the resolve of healing and trust in him. Lament is that process. The next thing I'd like to show us is number four, uh, an illustration of a lamentation. In other words, how how do I lament? I want to answer the question, can can you show me, Dom, um, how to lament? So here's a real life simple example from Psalm 13. We read it at the beginning. Um, And there's three parts to this lament and most every lament. Part number one, turn toward God and bring your complaint. Turn toward God and bring your complaint. Psalm 13 begins with these words. How long, O Lord? Usually a lament brings uh, or begins with a turning toward God and addressing God. The point is that the person in pain chooses to talk to God about whatever their distress is as opposed to a, you know, just like talking to other people only, or b, never really talking about it at all. As I said earlier, lament is a form of prayer. It honestly expresses distressing emotion, but it directs it toward God. This isn't just like a, you know, ranting to our, our people or whatever. So you address God and you bring your complaint. And here's the complaint in Psalm 13. This is the, the honest expression of the emotions surrounding the distress or the pain or the anger or whatever, whatever you have in you. He says, How long, O oh Lord? He's complaining, right? This is his complaint. Will you forget me forever? Oh, he's being honest now. God is not afraid, friends. How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Every lament features some kind of complaint. But like I said, it's not just some angry rant. Biblical lament humbly and honestly identifies the pain, asks honest questions, and expresses frustrations raging in our souls. This is the, God, this hurts. Lord, I don't, I don't like this. It feels like you're nowhere right now. I feel all alone. I feel like you can't see me. I feel like you're not. If you do see me, you're not saying anything. God, I don't. This is not okay. I'm not okay with this, Lord. That is that is the complaint, bringing it to God. And listen, God, guys, God is not afraid of this. <laughs> He's not afraid of this. He already knows what's happening. It's time for us to be honest with it and share it with Him. He wants to hear from us, like a loving parent wants to hear honestly from their children. But biblical lament isn't just complaining. Part two of the lament is ask God boldly for help. It says in verse three here, Arise, look on me and answer, Lord my God. He is speaking with boldness. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. The second element of lament is that we boldly ask God for help. Arise, oh Lord, look to me and answer. This is the, please God, please help me, Lord. Help me. This is, this is what you do, God. This is what you do. You help people. You help people. You, you, you care for the orphans. You provide for your children. God, come and help me. We'll talk about this more next week, but Part of what it means to pray in Jesus' name is that we we pray with the access and authority of Jesus. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We pray like when we talk to God, like He says, like, hold on, what? Like He leans in and listens because He does. For the eyes of the Lord, 1 Peter 3 says, are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Part three of how do I lament, the third element here um, is rehearse God's promises and attributes for the purpose of restoring trust and hope in God. It's the last two verses of Psalm 13. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Nothing's been resolved yet, but this is part of the lament, the culmination of the complaint and the bold ask. This is where all lament leads us. But I trust in your unfailing love. More than the stages of grief, the prayer language of lament moves us to renew our commitment to trust and hope in God as we navigate the brokenness of life. Lament waits in hopeful expectation of what is coming. This is the, God, because you're faithful, right? Start rehearsing the attributes. Because you've always provided, I, I know that you will fill in the blank. I have seen you bring justice. I know that you will. I, I trust you, God, because... Even if I haven't seen it yet, I'm going to trust you. I think it's fascinating that um, winter, of all things, precedes spring. Winter, when the the earth is at its absolute barest, that is immediately before the earth is at its absolute greenest. Similarly, immediately before a baby enters the world, the mother of the unborn child experiences the most excruciating pain and discomfort of the entire pregnancy. Friends, in this life, as we experience the tension of the winter and the labor pains of waiting, we do it with understanding that spring and new life are coming. Amen. Last point here. Point number five. The application of lamentation. Like in my life, uh, I want to apply this to my life. In my life, what should I even lament about? Well, simply put, we can lament about anything that breaks our hearts or grieves the heart of God. Here's a few examples from Scripture. We lament over sin in our own lives. If you don't know what that is or think you have none, then pray a simple prayer to the Holy Spirit that just says, like Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. We lament over the sins of our nation, like we see in places like Daniel 9. We lament over wrongdoing. We lament over injustice. Like it says in Habakkuk 1 and Psalm 7 and other places. We lament when we feel abandoned by God. We lament when we feel forgotten and overlooked. We lament when it seems like God is silent. We lament when we feel hopeless or disappointed. We lament when we're worn out or exhausted. We lament when we're full of sorrow and heartbreak. We lament in corporate prayer and we lament in personal prayer. There has been a deep sense in me personally and I know many of you and many people in the church at large uh, over the last year that the wind of God's Holy Spirit is coming to blow over the earth. waking up spiritually dead people and waking up spiritually sleeping people within the church. We talk about it like revival. And, um, revival is, sounds so big sometimes, like out of reach. But it's actually little moments of experience with God that eventually make up this big movement of revival. And I believe that if we're going to see that, it's got to start with us at home with repentance from and lamenting of the things that grieve the heart of God. If movements of God happen in moments with God, then I'm just asking if you would ask God with me today for a moment with Him, for an experience with Him for you and or your family I'm asking if you would ask him today to give you a revelation of his heart, to peel back the veil from your eyes so that you can see what he sees and feel what he feels, so that you can love what he loves and abhor what he hates. And when he does, when he peels it back and your heart begins to break, would you you allow yourself, would you give yourself permission to let your heart lament over it? Because it is in that moment of revelation and lament that change begins to come. I'll end with this. 2 Corinthians 7, 10 and 11 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Okay, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness. What indignation, what longing, what readiness to see justice done. Godly sorrow leads the non-believer to salvation, God do it. And the believer to righteous indignation, earnestness, and a deep longing to seek and do justice. That is a moment. And we experience that. The kinds of moments that precede the big movement of revival. So would you join me now in asking God to give us a revelation of his heart, that our hearts would break, lament over the things that his heart breaks. I'm going to start as Brian begins to play with 30 seconds of silence. so we want to ask today God that you would give us a revelation of your heart there's two different kinds of knowing in the New Testament there's the cerebral knowing and then there's the experiential knowledge I'm asking God that we would experience your heart that kind of knowing I think that's what you've been doing in me. We ask that you would do that in us, God. I desire so badly to live a life that is in harmony with you, where I'm thinking like you do and I'm, I'm treating others like you do. I'm thinking about situations in our, our world like you do. I'm thinking about complicated things like you do. I'm thinking about my own personal just like waiting and wondering and not having answers. I want to think about those things like you do. I I so badly want to have uh, my heart in sync with how you think on those things. But I also want to feel about those things like you feel about them, God. We acknowledge today the the wrongness of our world. And we say, I say, we're sorry, God. Please forgive us, Lord. Please forgive us for hate. Please forgive us for divisions and slandering and malice and gossip. Please forgive us for murder. Please forgive us for neglecting the things that you really care about. There is so much pain, God. There's so much brokenness, Lord. We join in with the the lament of the Psalms and say, how long, God? How long will this go on? We are asking that you would show up and you would move, that you would transform people's hearts to be more like yours, God. That you would call us out of darkness into your heart. That you would expose the idols up on the hills and that we would go down and tear them down. Come, God, speak to your people. We ask that you would wake up the church from lukewarmness and complacency. That you'd shake us up from distraction and sleepiness. We remember today that you were, that you are, that you will always be. We remember today that justice is in your hands, that the foundations of your throne are justice and truth. We remember that your heart is kind, God. We remember that your word is steadfast and never changing. We remember that your Holy Spirit is present with us even right now. We remember that you are the God who provides. We we remember that you are the God who comforts. We remember that you are the God who sees. We remember that you are our home even when we don't like the house we live in. We remember that you are all that we need, God. And so we just declare trust in you today. We just say, okay, Lord. All right. If that's you, then we just trust you. We trust you, God. We trust you, Lord. Have mercy on us now. In Jesus' name. If you need anything today, friends, we would love to pray for you. Our prayer team is standing by this week. There's a a link in the description under that YouTube video. Or you can go directly to realityventura.com slash connect with God. We'd love to pray for you. If you want to know more about this Jesus, this God of hope, we would love to share with you. You can do that right there at that website, realityventura.com slash connect with God. Let us turn our hearts to Him now in song.